For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Jeff Fidoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast app. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I will talk a little NFL draft and the Chiefs. But uh, before talking some fun stuff like that and who the Chiefs might select 32nd overall, uh, we're going to get a little bit more serious. Uh, a sad note that Pell McDaniels, uh, who played six years for the Chiefs, a very good defensive lineman, and a former uh, teammate of Joe's, uh, passed away this week. Yeah, Jeff, really, really sad. Um, you know, you, you always hate to, to lose people too soon. And, and obviously, anytime someone passes, it's, it's a sad occasion. But to lose somebody at the age of 52, and, you know, he was such a productive member of our society. And, and the thing that I loved about Pelham um, as a friend and as a teammate more than, more than anything um, was that for him, it went so far beyond football. You know, Pelham was a, um, he was a scholar, he was an athlete, he was a historian, he was a curator, he was an author, he was a poet, um, a published author. You know, he just, he was, he was a renaissance man. He really was. And, um, you know, we, we have a special connection with Pelham besides our time from 92 through, you know, the 96 season um, for us playing together as teammates with the Chiefs. Uh, Pelham and I also spent a season together in 1992 with the Birmingham Fire when mm. Pelham was, you know, when we were all trying to, you know, make our mark and, and make it in the NFL. I, you know, I had the luxury of being, you know, having been drafted in, in 1991. And then I was part of the NFL allocation program with that the NFL had with the World League, right? Because they, they were sort of owners of the World League. So they were sending players like, you know, people will remember Willie Davis, obviously, you know, great wide receiver for the Chiefs. We, we, went, we went to the World League as part of the allocation program, you know, where it was like get some players who need experience, small school, small school guys and, you know, guys that maybe didn't get as much playing experience in their first or second year. And we were all, you know, doing that. But then there was also a whole subset of players who were in the World League that they were using it as their chance in their springboard to get in the NFL. So that's where I first met Pelham. You know, he's a graduate of Oregon State. And, you know, we went against each other every day. It's defensive tackle, defensive end. You flip-flop in inside and outside those positions. And, you know, we got to know each other there. And, and here's, here's what I'll say about Pelham. Besides, you know, anybody can go on his Wikipedia page or read all the great articles and tweets from all of his teammates just being so kind and considerate to his, uh, his football prowess, but also his things. You, you can go on and read about all of those things that he did. Like I said, he was a true Renaissance man, author professor, you know, curator, historian. Um, the, thing, the thing about Pelham that I have been talking to friends about on social media is he 
was a guy that when I met him in Birmingham, Alabama, right? Actually, we had training camp in Orlando, Florida, and then we went back to Birmingham, a home city for, for the fire. Pella McDaniels, when I met him in Birmingham, and then you'd look at him and, you know, and we obviously, I parted ways and left the Chiefs in 96 and, you know, Pelham was staying there. You know, he was the same exact guy the day that I met him in Orlando, Florida at a World League training camp when he was, you know, bouncing around from team to team. He was working for Procter and Gamble at the time as a, as a, as a representative in Portland. He was trying to pursue a career in the NFL. You know, he was the same exact guy year six in the NFL as he was when he was, you know, trying to make his mark in this, the sort of the burgeoning World League of American football. And to me, that speaks volumes about a person, that he, he never changed his time in the NFL. He stayed the same exact person as he was when he was, you know, and, and, I, and I mean this term with all the most respect, when he was a struggling, you know, NFL prospect. And then he goes on and has, you know, a six, seven-year career, and it's like, Wow, like that to me speaks the most about a person like Colin McDaniels. He was a great friend. And he can sing. I mean, come on, the guy was, you know, he, he was part of that group, if you remember, of players that sang the national anthem before games, right? Derek wow. Thomas, Neil Smith, Pelham. Talk Paul about Booker, a, I think was a true was, Renaissance man, really. He was. Yeah. He was. He was amazing. And I, you know, I just I thought it would it would it was the right thing to do to talk about him today as part of, you know, talk about him to the Chiefs family who listens into our podcast to say, you know, we lost a great one. Um, and, and, you know, just wanted to, to just remember Pelham for, for a little bit and, and let everybody know um, that we, we lost a, you know, a great Chiefs uh, player. A guy who also was, you know, that was, there were obviously the great teams um, uh, of the Chiefs, the, the Super Bowl era, the Lynn Dawson era, all those Hall of Famers on defense. Bobby Bell, Willie Lanier, a little uh, before my time. But if you think after that, the part of the great Chiefs defense is probably the, the next best Chiefs defense or after that era. Um, he was really on each of those six years with the Chiefs and started several games, uh, helped out on those defenses. You said, you know, Renaissance man. And uh, it, it really is amazing uh, what, what he did. Like he had a PhD. Uh, he did – graduate work at Emory, which is an excellent school, and taught there, was a curator at the library. Like you said, he was a, uh, a, a writer, too. He wrote a book called The Prince of Jockeys, which is a biography about um, a, a jockey who was born into slavery and ended up winning the Kentucky Derby. I mean, I, I just, uh, I wish I had gotten to know this guy because uh, Pelham sounds just like such a fascinating individual. Yeah, and football didn't define him. And that's what you look, that's what you want, right? You don't, you know, for teammates and, and for fans of, of the game, you know, to, to, to be a fan of, of a sport that has players of multi-dimensions, you know, and, and that to me I think is, is you know, what, what we all should be looking for in, in, in players who play in the NFL or any professional sport or any amateur sport for that matter, right? You, you want them to be more, you want them to be defined by more than just what they did out on the gridiron you know, on Sundays or Saturday nights or Friday nights, whatever, you know, nights you're playing your sports, you know, you, you, that's how you want people to be defined, you know, by more than just, um, than just what they do out there on the field. You know, you want them to be, to be defined as people. Um, he was a great fan. He was a great fan of the game. He was, he was a student of the game. Uh, he was a fan favorite because he was always available and he, you know, always had a, 
he always had time for people when you see him at training camp and hanging out with the fans up in River Falls, Wisconsin and signing autographs. And he always had a smile on his face. He was a great teammate. Like that's, that's what you want. You know, that's what, that's what you want sports to teach you. You, you want, you want it to be a springboard for, for the passions that you have in your life. And, you know, so often we see the one dimension of sports and we forget that, you know, the athletes that, that, that we see on television or you see at the stadium that they're just, you know, they're just out there, you know, they're, that they're one dimensional and all they can do is rush a quarterback or block a defensive tackle or catch a ball. You know, you, you, he, he just showed that the football players are people and, and that, and that they're, you know, they're, they're defined in more than just, you know, what they do on Sunday afternoons. Totally. And he was definitely more than one dimension here, a, a very, a guy with great depth. Uh, we, we talked about Emory, which is really an outstanding school. Oh, yeah. oh, I was faster and a curator there. Um, also to keep for the, the local fans, he taught at UMKC. Um, so it's so a really yeah. a guy who kept local ties. Um, and, you know, he's played six, like we said, six years for a very good Chiefs defense. He started games. He started 14 games during his uh, career with yeah. the Chiefs. Um, Joe, what's your favorite uh, – give us a good Pelham story uh, that you could share with the audience. Uh, my favorite Pelham story is when, when – it, it's not actually a Chiefs memory, believe it or not. It was, it was a Birmingham memory. And mm-hmm. um, it's when we were over in Europe. And um, we <laughs> – you know, we were all young. We were young people. We were, we were out one night uh, after we were leaving Frankfurt, Germany, and um, we had some characters on that team. And um, we came back to the hotel. Uh, Chan Gailey, you know, obviously came head coach and, you know, famous offensive coordinator. In the yeah, NFL, the he was, head he was coach of the Cowboys would be the head coach of Georgia Tech. Yeah, he, so, so we came back to the hotel you know, uh, after having a few adult beverages in Frankfurt, Germany. And um, I remember we, so what happened was one of our players pulled a firearm in the hotel. It's a, <laughs> it's a long story that we could probably get into another, another, another podcast um, about my time in the world because it was, it was a riot. I mean, it was like, if for those fans who remember seeing a movie called North Dallas 40, which was a football movie with Mac Davis and Nick Nolte. I want to say it was seventies. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it made it to the early eighties. I think it was actually pr- produced in the seventies. It was just, it, we had this cast of characters, man. And I'm telling you, they were, they were a lot of fun. And um, I remember coming back and I remember Pelham was the first person that I made eye contact to when we got back into the lobby and there were police fire uh, fire professionals, like fire, you know, fire, firemen, firewomen. There, it was a, it was absolute chaos at the hotel. And Chan Gailey is running around trying to corral, you know, 50 some guys uh, who were, who were milling around the lobby in the middle of the night because somebody had pulled the fire alarm. And it's, like I said, there's a whole nother backstory behind that reason why it got pulled. And Pelham and I, he was the first guy that I made eye contact with when we got back and we just looked at each other and we're like, all right, what you know we, we're gonna have to like rally these guys so like he took the defense I took the offense and we like got everybody together and said all right guys you know coach Gailey is a mess you know he's all this craziness going on and uh and he was the one that took the leadership role with the defense and tried to corral it was like herding cats at that point <laughs> in the middle of the night as there were police everywhere there were firemen everywhere and um, you know, it, it was it was it was a riot, and and we always used to talk about that that talk about that night in Frankfurt when you know when all hell broke loose at, at our hotel, 
after we had uh, after we had beat the Frankfurt Galaxy. So uh, yeah, that that the look on his face and just you know just like he just had made that like you know he shook his head and was like oh, I can't believe this is happening. And you know we we had we always had a laugh about that uh, about our time together in Birmingham and our trip to the, to Europe to play. That 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 is. Uh, funny. And, you know, what we mentioned Chan Gailey, too, as being a coach there. I mentioned the Cowboys and uh, Georgia Tech. He was also, of course, was a Chiefs offensive coordinator, too. Yeah. So uh, uh, another Chiefs tie. And, Joe, by the way, I was looking up right on the nose. 1979 for North Dallas 40. Was so it? Okay. All right. Exactly I knew, right. I, I, you know, it was, all, it was one of my all-time favorite movies. And, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's as a kid, you know, I was 10 years old when it came out and, uh, you know, my family were huge, huge football fans. And I just remember like, God, like, wouldn't that be great to like be in the NFL and to be like Mac Davis or Nick Nolte. And, you know, it's a great, it's a great football movie that really tells the story of football in the seventies and early eighties. If, if, you know, fans, uh, haven't seen it, I'm sure you can, you know, find it somewhere. I almost said, you know, get it on tape. Right. Here I am dating myself, um, you know, like like somebody's going to go down the blockbuster and pick the tape up. But um, it, it's a fantastic movie. So I would totally recommend it. It's fun. It's uh, you know, it's it's a little racy. So I wouldn't recommend it for two young kids. I, I grew up with older brothers. So, you know, being a 10 year old watching that movie wasn't wasn't too bad. But you, know, did have you had some, a different you had a different bar yeah. there. But yeah, now, as we're all looking for things to do, well, we're yeah. at home. That might be exactly. uh, a good thing to stream. And, and Jeff, one last thing, just real quick, I think is a good segue into what we're going to talk about before we get to our breaks and, and, and talk about some of our sponsors. But the one thing that's a good segue, just kind of closing closing this uh, talk out about Pelham. He was undrafted. Right. And we're, we're approaching the draft right now. And I think that's a good segue into, you know, into what we're going to be talking about with the draft. I mean, here's a guy that played, you know, six years, like you said, got his starts, always was there as backup. You know, you know, one of those stalwart defensive players, once he made his his mark in the NFL and, and hooked on with the Chiefs, you know, he stuck, he stuck undrafted, you know, undrafted free agent. Like I said, who was working for, you know, Procter and Gamble at the time. So. Those stories are out there, and I hope that fans, you know, as this draft comes up, you know, and they have some time to think about it and, and prep for the draft and, and the viewing of, of however this draft is going to be produced, you know, think about those people that, you know, that get undrafted and go on and make great marks. I mean, I saw a great article about about the draft, and somebody somebody had, had posted the top – the top well, not the top, but all the draft picks from I think it was like the 2000 – like. 15 drafts so we're five years in right so that gives you that gives you time to see like who's going to make their mark and who's not going to make their mark right and it was like how many of these players would you redraft now mm -hmm. in the same position and i'm telling you like a lot of the people who were chiming in on facebook i think i saw it on facebook it was like one of those kind of things people were posting and i was like you know a lot of the players they were like i wouldn't draft that person again i wouldn't draft, definitely wouldn't draft this person again so you know the draft is uh you know, there's skill, and, and I think there's also some, some luck that goes into it, too. And guys like Pelham, Dave Zott, you know, those undrafted late-round late players, you know, look for them this year because – And they, it's they going to be very more. interesting this year. You mentioned a lot of guys like Pelham and Zott who were undrafted. Brett Veach was actually quoted as saying, you know, the, the draft with all – it's so different this year being – virtual and uh, how it's going to work. He said he's, he's pretty confident with all the uh, systems they have in place, but where he said it's really going to get interesting is the market for these undrafted free agents. 
uh, that's really when all hell might uh, break loose yeah. when you can't bring these guys in and you're, and you have, you're trying to get a hold of them, uh, you know, over the phone, over zoom, over uh, Microsoft, however they're doing it. So that's something yeah. to keep in uh, mind. And another, uh, Joe was curious, such a great story you had about during that, when the fire alarm was pulled, it sounded like you and Pelham both were exhibiting a lot of leadership, getting your guys to, you know, kind of go back, herding cats, if you will. So did you know that Pelham was going to be kind of special after football? Did you see those qualities in him? Oh, definitely. We saw, you know, I, from our times and our talks in, in Birmingham, you know, and, um, you know, developing our friendship there. Absolutely, you could see that he was somebody who had his eyes on, on the brass ring far beyond the gridiron. You know, he he was always looking for those things. He was entrepreneurial. He was, you know, he was always looking at you know business ideas and things like that. And you could tell it right away. I, I was so thrilled when the Chiefs extended an offer to him to join, and it was such a, a bonding moment for us to you know, to go through the World League together in 1992, to go through that season. We had a really good team. Mm-hmm. We, we made it to the semis and, and we, lost in the, um, we lost in the semifinals to a very close game to go to, the, to go to the World Bowl, which they played at Wembley Stadium, which we had already, we had already played in at one point. Um, and, uh, you know, we had that bond. And then to see him, you know, at that first, you know, um, minicamp, um, that we had right before, you know, we all broke for, for, for our break before regular training camp. And it was just like, oh, my God, it felt so comfortable. You know, I was going into my second season. You know, Pelham was going into, like, kind of technically what would have been his third season, right, because he had been with some other teams in the past and he was out of football, you know, working, like I said, working for Procter & Gamble. But, like, you know, just two young guys who were, you know, together and, you know, for me, you know, being down in, in, in Birmingham and, you know, having been a Philly kid and I wasn't real familiar with living in the South. And it was just, it was really cool that we had that bond and we could always share that through our time because we would always, I mean, there, didn't, there wasn't a, a time in the locker room or maybe I wouldn't say it was everyday conversation, but like there wasn't a week that wouldn't go by where we wouldn't tell some story about some crazy thing that happened to us with the World League, whether it was the ownership or, whether it was, you know, Coach Gailey or our quarterback who was just, you know, he was a hoot. Um, we just had this cast of characters that we would always, you know, and then and then sometimes Pelham and I would meet up with players that we played with, you know, or played against in the NFL. Um, you know, you, you go visit, you know, you're playing the Lions and there's Scott Mitchell who was with the Orlando Thunder or, you know, there was other players that we played with or played against that we had bonds that we'd see each other at, at NFL games. And, you know, when you're shaking hands when the game's over. So, yeah, it was really, it was really cool to have that bond with Pelham. And I think it was something that always tied us together for sure. That is very cool. Yeah. Obviously, uh, when he signed with the Chiefs, like you said, you were very excited. Where, do you remember any tips you gave him about uh, coming to the team or maybe coming to Kansas City, maybe even what barbecue place to, to, to go to? Really important <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, you always had to have, uh, you always wanted to be that person that shared, you know, have, ha- I had having been there for, for a year and we used to go to a place, uh, a bunch of the guys would always get together in, in Birmingham. A lot of people who were barbecue fans have probably heard it was called Dreamland. And it was at the time, it was just a single location um, in, in Tuscaloosa and which was, you know, where, where Alabama is. And, and, and at that time, Alabama was still playing half their home games, I think at Legion Field in Birmingham, which mm-hmm. was cool. And uh, so Pelham and I would always say, you know, 
Dreamland set a high bar for us from a barbecue perspective, you know, cause, mm -hmm. cause you know, Southern barbecue is a little more vinegar based. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little waterier. It's not like that Kansas city sort of more sugary, you know, based uh, barbecue. And uh, we, it set a bar for us. I mean, it's all, I don't know our Kansas city barbecue fans. I, I you know, hear me out. You, you know, you can find some good barbecue in the South. And we would always, we would always compare barbecue to Dreamland. Cause when you went there, all they served was was basically lemonade, white bread, and ribs. So it was, you weren't. It was not a fancy menu. You weren't. Get, but man, and and actually, Derek Thomas is the one that told me to go there. Um, oh sure, an Alabama guy. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, of course. So when when I uh, you know when I was selected to go to Birmingham, and um, you know Derek called me and said, uh, you know, hey, Joey, you know, you got you to gotta go down. If you're going to be in Birmingham, make sure you go to a couple places, PJ's Full Moon Barbecue, make sure you go to Dreamland. So, you know, Derek, you, know, you just got to pay those things forward, right? So that's what I did with Pelham when he came to Kansas City. We, we would always share stories about, you know, where he should go, the same way that Derek told me uh, the places to go when I was living in Birmingham. That's so cool, Joe. Well, while you're waiting this one out at home, perhaps with a, a plate of ribs in front of you, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. With no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. But, but BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. But sports aren't totally done. There's still eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the Elections, the Spelling Bee, their $750,000 poker series, there's still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Uh, Joe, and, you know, it's, BetOnline is very cool. We, I've been talking with some of my friends and stuff and going through some of the cool prop apps. You can bet how many, um, how many dogs – there's going to be the over/under of how many dogs you're going to see on the videos, um, wives, girlfriends, things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. And it's and it's it is it. You know, like I said a little earlier, Jeff. You, you know, you call me Mr. Segway. You know, the NFL draft is a bet. You know, it's a bet on these players. They do like just like when you're betting, right? You're going to go on a bet online. You, there's not a lot of people that are going to invest their money and just go willy nilly, right? They want to. When they're betting on a team, they're looking at stats, right? People who get involved in fantasy sports, right? They really try to do, they try to do their homework. And, and, and the NFL teams are obviously doing the same thing. They spend a lot of money on, you know, getting scouts out to see players. Unfortunately, not as much this year, obviously, with some of the travel restrictions and, and, and the social distancing, distancing that's going on. You know, they did have the draft. I mean, they did have the combine and, and, and some of the all-star games to, to see some of these players and to meet them but they invest so much money, right. In, in trying to identify this talent. And then of course there's the salaries. It's, that's, that's a given, right. That's cable stakes. Um, but you know, it's, it's a gamble. Like I, I keep going back to that, you know, kind of silly little Facebook, you know, post that I saw about, you know, analyzing past drafts and, and putting out your commentary on whether or not you would draft those same people in the same round in the same position. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard for all of the time and effort and money that they put into it. It's still, you know, you're still taking a risk on a 21 to slat, say a 23 year old, you know, depending on how old somebody is coming out, red shirts and whatnot, you know, and, 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 and in, and in an environment that, you know, it's the college environment, it's, it's not the NFL environment where every player is 
part of the NFL, you know, and, um, you know, I am looking at some of these, you know, you're trying to get the information, digest it and see what other people think. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on like the, you know, the, you know, some of, some of the, the draft gurus are talking. I haven't seen anybody pick the same player for the chiefs. Like I'm looking at all these draft gurus, right. And it goes mm -hmm. from D line to O line to cornerback. And then you're hearing, you know, all, all of the stuff about Henry Ruggs now, would they want to trade up and go for a wide receiver? Like, it's like, who, I think, I think early on, Jay, there, I saw a lot of people and we talked, you know, I talked to uh, Dane Brugler for a story and the, the, the star said that Jalen Johnson would be the pick. Mm -hmm. But I think now people think he might even be gone uh, by the time the yeah. Chief, if, if the, the Chiefs pick at 32. If you had to bet, perhaps at betonline.ag, who, who, who do you think the Chiefs, what's your prediction for the Chiefs at 32? Personally, I think they could get. I think they could get a steal with a running back. If mm -hmm. either somebody slips down, you know, um, and I don't know whether, you know, again, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, I'm kind of like a, kind of like a Big Ten. Like I'm a fan of the Big Ten player because I think they, some of the players outside. Of, I know the SEC has more NFL players and all that, but like, you know, there's, you know, could it be a DeAndre Swift, right, um, out of Georgia, right, big. You know, that's a big program, great schedule. You know, could a Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin slip? Does he fit the mold, you know, of, of, what the, of what the Chiefs are trying to accomplish in their running game to provide them some depth? Do you have um, one running back, Joe, that you really – is kind of your favorite in the, in the draft? Oh, man. I, I would have to say um, – well, I think I – think, I think Jonathan Taylor is probably the ranked highest, right? Isn't he probably the – isn't he? I think he is uh, – DeAndre Swift is another guy who you mentioned yeah. who is I mean, those who two guys, also, if, if, um, if it could be if, – if, if I were – look, I, I think it's it, it could be the big differentiator for them. I, I think running back could – look, how many years do you get out of running back these days, right? I mean, not to be, not to be like pessimistic about it or, or overly uh, dramatic about the career length of running backs. I mean, you know – I think, you know, I think you get two, three, five years, you know, they get, you know, they get so beat up, um, you know, maybe, maybe they could make an impact with a, with a rookie running back, you know, that could provide them some depth. And could that be the, the piece of the Chiefs puzzle that makes them just, you know, could, they could go 16-0 maybe if they had a running back that could take the pressure off of Patrick. And I'm not saying that Damian's not the guy, and he did prove that he is the guy, but He's not, you can't give him every carry, you know, I'm shady. And I have another interesting name for you. I agree that running back is a need. Um, I really like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. Mm -hmm. He was fantastic for them uh, watching the Alabama game, watching uh, uh, their national championship victory over Clemson. Uh, the knock on him is he's small. He's, he's mm -hmm. only like five or seven, five or seven, great pass catcher, extremely shifty. He's a guy that – I don't think he's going to be taken in the first round, but I wouldn't be at all surprised. Uh, Matt Derrick even said he thinks the Chiefs will do this when we had him on. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs trade back, uh, try and get some more picks, um, and maybe get Hilaire in like the second round if they can if they trade out of the first. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a great pick. I mean, I think about the players in that mold, right? I mean, Shady to a certain degree wasn't a obviously not a bruiser, right? And you saw the career he had with the Eagles and being able to get a Super Bowl ring with Andy. And then you look at Darren Sproles, 
right? What a talent, what a, what a, um, you know, what a dimension that he added to the Eagles, you know, during their, you know, Super Bowl run, um, you know, when Nick Foles was at the helm and with Doug Peterson, who's, you know, very similar coaching style to, to Andy, um, you know, in a similar offense, right? It was kind of like a pick you apart offense. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an offense that was going to just smash it down your throat with a Derrick Henry. Um, yeah, a guy like that could be a fantastic addition as a, to add one more dimension. Imagine Eric Bien. You give Eric Bien, I mean, more and more weapons like that, they're going to come up with something creative for it. And that's, that's been Andy's MO. And that's been, you know, what he's, you know, he has kind of tutored Eric on um, and getting him ready for a head coaching position, which you know is happening. I mean, you know, that is absolutely, it's, it's going to happen. It has to happen. He deserved it this year. You know, whatever reason, you know, it just the number didn't shake out or whatever, and I'm sure he's super happy to be back and make this this the second run with the Chiefs. But, um, you know, I, I think they could they could add a dimension with somebody like that that could be um, could pretty could be really effective, and and you're just giving them one more page in the playbook, man. Who knows what could happen? And now a brief word from one for the one standing guard for the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. One of our sponsors. Joe, an interesting rumor, draft rumor that you mentioned was the Henry Ruggs talk. Uh, Peter King, who is a very reliable source, obviously, uh, with NBC Sports, mentioned how, how the Chiefs, uh, he's heard that the Chiefs are very interested in Henry Ruggs, the Alabama receiver. It is a great receiver draft. Uh, but I really mm-hmm. love Ruggs, and he's the fastest of the guys. Just an absolute burner. We're talking Hardman, Tyreek Hill speed, and he has great hands, too. He's not just a, a workout wonder. I don't think this is really happening. I don't think the Chiefs have the ammunition, but oh my God, wouldn't that be, I mean, what do you think about this? Uh, could it be a smokescreen, right? Could it be something that the Chiefs are putting up to, you know, these the gamesmanship that goes on, you know, with the draft and, and trying right. to get people to, when they're jockeying for position and, you know, they're trying to figure out who's going to take whom and, and when they're going to take them. Could this be, you know, could this be a smokescreen? Could there be some, could it be the fodder for a trade talk, you know, to see, wow. I, I mean, my only concern, Jeff, is where does he fit? You know, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I hear you to have another speedy receiver like that would be fantastic. And it would give him another dimension. And so you terrifying know, for defense. Like, where, I mean, <laughs> like how do you where, cover? It's like a track team, you know? It, yeah. And if, if Patrick Mahomes didn't have the army ha- he has, I'd be, I, I would say, well, come on, they can't, you know, what are they going to do with all that speed? But he can, Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball wherever he wants on the field. He can bomb it out. He can air it out. He can throw it short. He's got the, the accuracy to dump it, you know, while he's falling down and getting sacked. I mean, he, he can throw the ball anywhere on the field. So, yeah, I mean, imagine the deep threats and the, the, the jet routes that they could run with those, you know, just those three guys alone. It would be – it could – if they go – if they do something like that and they make that work, it could be like – it could be revolutionary, right, for NFL, for the NFL, to have that much speed on the field at one time. And then you throw in, you know, the size and the athletic ability of, 
Travis Kelsey at tight end uh, it, to be able to take on those linebackers and, and be, you know, and, and bust up those zone defenses. Oh my God. I would, I don't, I don't, I mean, that might be too much firepower. Yeah. <laughs> if, that, if, it, that even, it, if that's even exists. Totally. And you know, the rationale uh, is that Demarcus Robinson on a one-year deal, uh, Sammy Watkins uh, renegotiated his contract, probably not going to be with the team too much longer. This might be his last year with the team. So, you know, they could use more receivers, but uh, you said the smoke screen that, you know, if he, if he doesn't end up with the chiefs and I, I don't think he will just cause I think it's going to take a lot to get up uh, to, to where rugs would be drafted. We might see him in the AFC West with uh, some receiver needy teams like the Broncos or the Raiders who are picking around where he might go. And that might be part of the reason for the smoke screen. Maybe they're trying to get yeah. those teams to give up a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, that's when you read, you know, when you read a lot of the stuff, it's, it's the 49ers, it's the Broncos, it's, it's the Raiders, it's all the teams that the Chiefs, you know, obviously – 49ers are going to make another run and try to get back to the Super Bowl again. I mean, it's all the teams that you're hearing about that are going to be, you know, either they're going to be playing a couple times during the year or, you know, they could face again possibly in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the talent war is on and, you know, people people can they'll say and do anything to try to get the player they want and, and see if they can threaten, not threaten, but, you know, kind of coerce people uh, to, to, to make a pick that they don't want to pick because they think the other person might. I always go back to the story of, 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 of um, you know, the, the Dallas um, – oh, God, why is his last name for the Eagles? The, 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 the tight end. The oh, Goddard, Dallas Goddard. Goddard, thank you. God, I've got all these draft names in my head. That, you know, they picked him because they – and they, they knew that the Cowboys wanted him. And they did it. And, you know, like, I mean, whether or not that was a conspiracy theory or not, he had a great he's had a great run with the Eagles. He's been an unbelievable compliment to, you know, what uh, Zach Ertz is doing. Um, and you're like, wow, like they his name is Dallas. He's from Texas. Right. The, the Cowboys pretty much had leaked that, that he was going to be the player they were going to pick. Right. Because, you know, they had, uh, you know, their, their tight end was moving on and Witten was moving and so on. Witten. Yeah. And so it's like holy cow like if that stuff really does happen you know there's rivalry still out there and there's you know there's bragging rights about that and you know and whether or not uh that was true or not it, it sure seemed like it made for a really good story for people in the nfc east for sure and especially for eagles fans like me also definitely added to that rivalry for sure you know we had our uh uh forbes uh mock draft where each of the writers covering the teams uh mocked the selection for that uh, particular team at that point, I had this. This was last week, and I had uh, Jalen Johnson. Um, and again, the Chiefs. We know they met with him at the combine. We know he's kind of the character they like. He's, he's an aggressive press corner with good size. Now I, I'm kind of thinking they they might one. I think Jalen Johnson might uh, be gone, and Brett Veach is aggressive, so I could see him going either trading up or, or trading down. I, I could see them also going to offensive line uh, for their first pick. Uh, maybe even shoring up that interior. Ruiz from Michigan has been kind of a hot name. Yeah. He play center yeah. guard. That's that's. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go there. Yeah, yeah. He's and you know another you know another great Michigan lineman right coming out. He's got the size. He's got uh, athletic ability. He fits the NFL mold. Um, you know, yeah. It could be. He could be. It could certainly be a lineman, right, to shore that up. 
um, you know, and look for the future, right? Yeah, you know, the draft is – you always got to think, what, what are the odds that, that, that a player is going to make that, that huge impact the first year, right? It takes a really, really special person and a really special player to make an impact in their first year. Um, and so, you know, it just, it just depends on whether, you know, Andy and Brett want to build for the future and think about, you know, what's it going to be like, you know, in, in a year or two years and how can, how can we get that player to develop? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just a matter of whether if they go for that immediate need for the person that could really make an impact, you know, this year, it's, it's, it's really hard to say, um, unless you're in the locker room every day and you're, you know, and you're seeing the health of the players, which is going to be really hard right now. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you know, how do they know in what kind of shape, you know, somebody on their offensive line is in right now. And you, you, you hope that the players are doing a fantastic job of staying in shape and which they're professionals. And of course they're going to do that, but you don't know, right. You don't have control. You haven't had them in an OTA yet. And, you know, you don't know whether somebody's, you know, going to be ready to, to, to fight for a spot. And, they're going to have a, there's going to be a lot more guessing going on, I think. Cause you know, let me tell you, the, 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 the management and the coaches really did keep, keep their eyes on people during those OTAs and mm-hmm. during the off season workouts as, as much as it's been a little bit slack than it used to be because of the collective bargaining agreements that have been kind of, you know, redone since the, since the nineties where, you know, and, and since this whole new era of, of heavy salary cap focus, you know, and, and, and what, what they're trying to do to keep players from having to spend too much time, you know, in contact and, and doing all of those things that could, could force injuries. But, you know, they do, they do put a lot of stock in how players approach the offseason. And, and I, I've seen a lot of players win spots in the offseason. I really have at mini camps, um, during workouts, you know, showing the, showing the coaches that they're a player that's going to do anything they can to get on the field. Yeah, right now, obviously, there's a lot of guessing, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, But we'll know next week what direction the Chiefs have gone with the draft, and we'll be back here to wrap it up. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in. Thanks so much, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.